Blog Talk Radio. No matter where you are and uh, when you're listening, uh, welcome back to Voices of the Sacred Feminine, where we talk about lots of stuff under the goddess umbrella, like uh, empathy, for instance, like spring. Well, speaking of spring, can we say goddess, bringing spring to us once again, we allow ourselves space in your fresh breath of air for something new to be born in our lives now. We are so grateful for this gift, blessed be. And may some of these shows that air on Voices of the Sacred Feminine do just that, allow something new to be born in your life, in your mind, in your heart, like empathy, for instance. And uh, Albert Schweitzer said this about empathy. He said, the purpose of human life is to serve and to show compassion and the will to help others. Susan Saradin said about empathy, when you start to develop your powers of empathy and imagination, the whole world opens up to you. Well, this is Karen Tate and uh, Voices of the Sacred Feminine is back on the air just a little bit uh, over two months now and I feel like I'm getting back into the swing of things after being on uh, being on hiatus for a couple of years uh, but I want to keep reminding you uh, because they're so important uh, all the past shows 11 years worth are in the archives for you every show we do every day uh, you don't have to be here to listen live you can always catch it later in the uh, archives and I have to tell you um, there is a treasure trove there um, especially for mothers and way showers uh, who uh, have left this mortal plane uh, their voices live there um, you can also find them at uh, my website karentate.net under archived wisdom and I was listening to some of them recently uh, as I downloaded them to keep them for posterity of blog talk ever blows up and goes away and uh, it's really interesting the stuff we were talking about 10 years ago uh, in some cases is even more relevant today um, so it's not like you're going to be here in dated material uh, I trust uh, I, you know I hope you'll trust me on that 
Well, um, now that uh, I'm comfortably back on the air, I'm planning some very interesting things to share in the coming weeks. And um, starting after today's interview uh, with Janet Rudolph, uh, we're going to have our first of four sessions discussing uh, Carol Crisp's very important essay, Why Women Need the Goddess. So uh, you want to make sure you stay tuned in uh, after Janet and I talk. And um, just a kind of an interesting factoid, did you know Voices of the Sacred Feminine started before these shows were called podcasts? Yeah, you know, back then uh, it was just uh, called uh, Internet Radio. (laughs) So anyway, just a reminder before we get in too deep here, uh, we're streaming live at 11 o'clock uh, Pacific on Wednesdays, uh, later from the archives for your convenience. And you can uh, also catch us on Spotify, Amazon, Google Podcasts, Apple. And um, I'd like to hear from you if you have any show ideas, interview ideas, if you want to run commercials about your work, uh, you can get in touch. Uh, If there's anything you believe would make the show better, don't hesitate to contact me uh, at my website, uh, karentate.net. And just a shout-out to Pat, uh, my roving reporter, for sending in great articles to share. And for the two artists, um, I believe they're both from Nevada, who allow me to use their music, uh, today you were listening to Nomad's Land from Zingaya. And uh, sometimes you'll also hear Abigail Spinner McBride's music, uh, for instance, at the close of the show when we um, have an homage to the lion-headed Egyptian goddess Sekhmet. So, anyway, um, I uh, think that about covers uh, uh, the show business, and uh, I want to jump right in and uh, have our conversation with Janet. And uh, the title of our show today is uh, Gifts and Pitfalls of Surviving Abuse. And uh, before we delve deep into that chat, uh, I want to tell you a bit more about uh, Janet. Um, And uh, in her bio, uh, it's really interesting. I like how she starts it off. She says, it's all about the quest. And I so, so, so agree with that. It's not really about the destination. It's about the quest. Uh, She says, uh, I've walked the spirit path for over 25 years, traveling to sacred sites around the world, including Israel to do an OPAN, Uh, which is a Hebrew language studies uh, while she worked at a kibbutz. Uh, She's traveled to Eleusis and Delphi in Greece, Avebury and Glastonbury in England, Brodgar in Scotland, Machu Picchu in Peru, uh, Teotihuacan in Mexico, Giza in Egypt. And with these travels, uh, she participated in numerous shamanic rites and rituals, attended a mystery school-based on the ancient Greek model, and studied with shamans around the world. She was twice initiated, the first as a shaman practitioner of a pathway known as divine humanity, the second ordination in 2016, was uh, it was as an uh, alakai. She'll have to tell me if I probably murdered that. Uh, alakai, uh, which is a Hawaiian spiritual guide uh, guide with uh, Aloha International, um, and she's written three books: um, When Moses Was a Shaman, When Eve Was a Goddess, 
Uh, and uh, one, and I think when Eve was a goddess, uh, is also avail- available in Spanish. And she wrote One Gods, and uh, she has two books that are going to be released this year. And um, I think the one we're talking about uh, is autobiographical uh, and a wonderful title, Desperately Seeking Persephone. So, Janet, um, welcome to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, you know, what you don't have in this bio is that you're the incredible curator, facilitator, I'm not sure the the official title exactly, but of that really awesome and valuable uh, blog, uh, Feminism, the Feminism and Religion blog, or as we like to call it, FAR, F-A-R. Right. We actually call it, I'm a co-weaver. Okay, okay. And how long have you been doing that, actually? I'm going to say about a year and a half now. I, okay. I stepped Did you in. Wanna... The, you know, the, well, the site went through a lot of transition, and and so I stepped in at a time when things were really changing on the site. And so, right, and, right. You know, it has so many incredibly wonderful authors, including yourself, and so... You know, working working with these incredible authors has just been been an eye-opening experience. Well, you know, we're going to be talking about abuse and trauma and all of that today, and some of my listeners know that uh, I'm coming out from under that. Uh, But I have to tell you, when I was isolated up on the mountain and I was too far away for friends to really come visit and I felt too far away because... Uh, the trauma of the stun gun attack made it so that, you know, driving back into Los Angeles was just uh, almost an impossibility for me. Four was uh, a bit of a sanctuary for me in a sense, you know. I could go there and read the current article of the day or the past articles, and there's just something about the heartfelt wisdom of the women, uh, their sharing, their joys, their pain, their revelation. You know, it felt like a sisterhood, you know, it felt like a circle. You know, we weren't there physically together, but the words just sprang off the page, and they helped me tremendously. I'm delighted. I'm sorry that happened to you, but I'm delighted to hear that FAR had so much meaning for you. I, I feel the same way about it. Yeah, and I'm sure it does for other people, too. You know, it's just they don't stop to say that, you know, but um, anyway, I have the opportunity here, so I've been so glad to have some of those, um, you know, writers, uh, you know, actually here on the show, and, um, you know, uh, some have already been on the show earlier in the year, more are coming, some are going to come back, Um, uh, you know, uh, we wisdom by the, uh, we women by the time we get to this point, uh, you know, I, I think we really do have a lot to say and share. And it's just great that FAR um, provides that opportunity because we teach each other, you know. Uh, I think as each essay comes up, um, you know, we're all works in progress. And uh, so thank you for the effort you put in to making sure that that is on the air. Thank you. (laughs) My pleasure. So. Okay, um, so you know, you because of four, you know, you and I started talking about uh, your book, and um, you know, and we have a, 
common interest in this idea of uh, abuses all over, whether we uh, care to admit it or we still have blinders on. And, um, you know, we all have our way of dealing with it, healing from it. You know, hopefully we're rec- we, you know, we recognize it. Um, but I, I wonder yours, and again, the title um, uh, was Desperately Seeking Persephone. Great title, again, by the way. Um, Thank you. Would, would, well, I mean, I, I, I guess I know what inspired you to write it, but, uh, you know, there's a, at least for me, there, there's this chasm I feel like you have to jump across, you know, because it's one thing experiencing it and maybe starting to put the pieces together and understanding it and healing from it, but then to actually put it on paper for the world to read, you know that's a that's a big leap, and uh, I don't was for me anyway. And I just wonder, tell me about that process for you. I, I, for me, putting it down on paper, and and trying to understand it in a really deep way that I can communicate to other people has been a really healing journey for me, because it's a, it's forced me or, or pushed me in the direction of understanding different patterns of my life. And then, and yeah. then what, what, I, what I need to do about them. For example, right. you know, I, I was abused by my father. And I'm, I'm, I'm in my upper 60s, so we're talking, we're talking more than 40 years ago. And, and my mother didn't, didn't, didn't protect me in any way. And then when my mother died about five years ago, it, it kind of came to me that here I was, there was only one place where the battles were still going on on this earth, and that was in my own body. And I was like, wait a second, I have a very small body to have such a major battle going on, and I don't want to carry this anymore. And so that was when I, I said, okay, I need, to, I need to change the patterns. I need to understand what these patterns are, and I need to change them. Well, and that was part of and- my journey. Well, and, you know, I, and I, I feel like I want to comment on the fact that you said, well, yeah, I mean, it was maybe 40 years ago. Um, I mean, I know when I was writing Normalizing Abuse and in the opening chapters I tell what I remembered from my own abuse. And, um, you know, and I remember writing, you know, we think when we get away from it, it's over, you know, um, I mean, like when I got out of uh, the abuse of my childhood and went on and was an adult, I thought, well, it was behind me, it was over. But you realize that sometimes if you haven't dealt with it or you knew you had something to deal with, it can shape the decisions you make um, even when you're, a, you're an adult. Um, so it doesn't matter if... 5, 10, 15, 20 years have gone by, it's still there with you. Did you find that to be the case for you as well? Uh, Not only did I find it with me with my patterns of behavior, but I believe we carry it in our bodies so that we may have illnesses that reflect the tension that we're still holding. So until we can let go of these tensions, like you, you were talking about how impossible it was to go into Los Angeles again, and I'm assuming you can tell me if I'm correct, but that that was because there was a tension in your body that made it too difficult to do those actions. 
And then when we yeah, have tension yeah. in our body, we we get illness from that. Yeah. If we yeah, don't, if we don't um, do something to release it. Yeah, I real. I mean, I realized later when I saw a therapist that I was doing what they called catastrophizing. Uh, I thought mm-hmm. everything was gonna uh, turn into a catastrophe. You know, driving into LA, even though I lived there for 30 years, driving there now was totally different. I was sure it would end in an accident or a flat tire, and I'd be on the side of the road. Mm-hmm. You know, I just conjured up all of these fears in my head, mm-hmm. and um, and I also think too, still talking about the mind-body connection. You know, we develop these things. Um, I'm I I have just a personal theory that because women live with such anxiety uh, and trauma in their lives that I wouldn't doubt if um, fibroids, you know, which I had and suffered with for years and I had uh, intense bleeding, um, I just, I wonder, and doctors don't, well, the point is doctors don't really know why women have fibroids, I'm told, if if it, that doesn't have something to do with it, you know, um, because we, we're the second-class citizen, you know, because we're marginalized, uh, because, uh, you know, we re- retire in poverty, because, you know, we don't, you know, we don't make equal pay, or, you know, we have three times the workload of, our, of the man in our life because we're taking care of elders and children and trying to work and all of that. Um, you know, I, I don't know, I, I guess we're starting to connect these dots now as we all become a bit wiser. Yes, yes. I had, for example, I had a, a little, I've had different, but, but the same kind of that, those physical maladies, like one of the things that I, I had, I was too young. So actually it was more like 60 years ago, uh, the abuse I you know, suffered with as a child and, I was too young to have any actual memories of what happened. So it was my body that held those memories. So in a way, for me, the body was a form of healing. And one example is my father would hold me down on my chest. And for years I had bronchitis, which was that, which is that feeling like you can't catch a breath, you can't, your, your chest will just will not hold the air. And until I started to, to heal that, that, those feelings, so first I could go in and say, okay, what's this bronchitis telling me? And then when I was able to do that, then I was able to start the healing process. And now it's been at least 10 years since I've had bronchitis. But I used to have it constantly. Well, um, you know, I hear that sort of thing a lot. Uh, there was a story about uh, a woman whose voice felt stifled, and she had uh, thyroid problems, you know, mm-hmm. throat chakra, yeah. throat chakra mm-hmm. issues. Um, uh, the shaman I worked with for the fibroids said the, uh, the bleeding that started up again was about me release, try, my body trying to help me release the grief. Um, it's really mm. incredibly interesting, you know. I, I think yeah. when we start to make that connection uh, between the, the, you know, the physical body ailments and the, uh, the emotional psychological trauma. Um, well, and you, you know, you feel like abuse takes our voices away too. Um, speak mm-hmm. to that a bit. Oh, well, so at least what happened to me, you know, I, I think, although I do think the process is somewhat universal, is, is in the face of abuse, 
our lives become dangerous because if we if we speak our own truth or if we say what we're thinking some we can be hurt because some the, the our abusers or people even people supporting them you know can hurt us it can hurt us physically they can even hurt us emotionally but by yelling by by telling us that we're no good by 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 help by focusing on our fears so there's just a million ways that that we become diminished and and then when our voice is taken away or challenged in any way, if it happens for too long or for too young, we forget that we have our own voice. We forget we have our own feelings. Like for yeah. example, I wasn't yeah. allowed to feel something different in my in my family than what what my parents felt, and 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 after a while, I forgot that I had my own feelings, and it's, and it's become a become very challenging to this day sometimes to know well what how do I feel about something it feels like it feels so basic what do you mean you don't know what you're feeling and yes sometimes I don't know what I'm feeling about something I have to sit back and go wait a second and sometimes it might even take me a day or more especially if it's something I feel challenged or triggered by then I have to really sit back and go all right I just have to think about this and let it settle in Well, yeah, because, you know, when authority figures, I think, you know, whether that be our parents or our boss or, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, anybody who who has power over us, let's put it that way, Mm -hmm. you know, when they tell us that our feelings, you know, when our feelings are different from theirs, um, mm-hmm. then uh, it, it delegitimizes our voice, I think. You know, they want to mm-hmm. shut us up. And the result right. is, you know, we, um, uh, you know, our, our voice becomes marginalized, de- delegitimized, and, and then that can have a domino effect in other, mm-hmm. uh, other ways psychologically as well. Mm-hmm. You know, then maybe... Uh, I mean, and, and also, too, what this brings up for me is non-disclosure agreements, NDAs. Um, oh, my goodness. You know, yes. that's, that's, that's another way out in the world, um, you know, evil people keep their secrets and mm-hmm. prevent others from telling what happened to them, you know. Um, and what, you know, and, I, and I, I, I think, think one of the real dangers of it is not just, not just the person whose voice being taken away, which on its own is totally bad enough, but then that person is, is free to go off and do it to other people because people don't know about it. Yes. So it creates yes. a spiraling problem that, that just burgeons. Yeah. I, I mean, because I think at first maybe non-disclosure agreements were probably to protect intellectual property, you know, at say a corporation, but then... Uh, you know, evil people started to use them to uh, protect themselves from, uh, you know, the abuse that they were inflicting on people or, you know, bad business practices or, you Mm -hmm. know, horrible things they did their employees or whatever it is, you know. Yes. So, um, so you... You know, you you know, you you bring up Persephone in your title, uh, desperately seeking Persephone. Um, so uh, you must have used mythology as a, a creative vehicle in your in your story. Um, do you want to tell us about that? 
I, one of my favorite topics is I, I love the concept of mythology and, and these stories and because they stick around because they, they have such universal meaning for people. And Persephone, of course, was for those that don't know the story, was kidnapped, read that rape, and sent into the underworld. And she, she became the wife of Hades. And through her process, she became the queen of the underworld. And, and that, because she had eaten the six pomegranate seeds by the time she was rescued, then she had to spend six months in the underworld, and then she could spend six months with her mother Demeter on Earth. And this is always told as an agricultural story. It tells us why we have winter when she's in the underworld. The weather withdraws, and it's cold and, and snowy, and when she comes back, it's growing season. But I think there's a lot more to the story than just a simple agricultural story. I think this is a journey in some ways we all take. And, and in, in Anna from, of the Sumerians also took this journey to the underworld, and she went, by, she went by choice. She went down to visit her sister in the underworld, whose name is Ershkegel. And, and how these two women, these two goddesses, went through the underworld and then returned that was a story I felt I needed to know in my soul because, how, how, you know, say you trip and you fall, you know, the, the fairy tale story, you get, get called to, a, to another dimension, uh, you, you find a, a brass ring or, or you, you, you eat the apple or you, you end up and you find yourself in, in, in an underworld setting. How do you get out of it? What is that process? And, and right. depression... It, it isn't is depression, uh, you know, the, 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 the upshots, all those upshots of abuse, illness, all the war, you know, being, being stuck in all of these traumatic situations could, 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 be, thought of, uh, could be thought of as a, an underworld situation. So it's very common and, and on the earth. And, and, and the, process, this, this, the journey out is just such an important journey for so many of us to take. Well, and, and dare I say, um, you know, it, 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 it's an important journey to take, um, and some of us stay stuck there. You know, maybe mm, they don't yes. even realize we need to get out, uh, that, that, you know, that we can stay stuck there, that it, it uh, can be better on the other side, that we don't have to, uh, shall we say, normalize that suffering, that trauma, um, mm-hmm. you know, because uh, because I, I, I do, I'm a firm believer, especially all the people I, I spoke to um, who contributed to to my book, you know, I, I'm amazed at the people that don't, have not admitted to themselves they are actually either witnessing or enduring abuse. And, mm-hmm. and, and they live their lives that way or maybe live their lives that way for a few years, um, mm-hmm. you know, before they start that healing journey, if they start that healing journey. Um, and, and I wonder if it's – and I, I, mean, I guess I'm just asking your opinion, Janet, because uh, you've lived with this for a while. Um, do you think it's because here in the United States um, there's so much shame around getting help for mental health or because it's uh, so – scarce in some areas, people maybe can't get it or can't afford it. Um, have you given any thought to that? Um, well, <laughs> you know, there's, there's not one reason in my mind. 
and I certainly think that can be an element. But here, here's what I think. I, as you, in your name of your book, Normalizing Abuse, I don't think people recognize abuse. And, and I have to tell you, I've fallen back into abusive situations. Abuse is, I don't know, it's like an old coat. It's ratty and disgusting and it smells. But boy, is it comfortable because we know it. Yeah. We know it in our hearts. We know it in our soul. We know it in our gut. And when we put on that, that, that coat, it's like a breath. I know this and I'm comfortable here because it's so much a part of our society that we don't even recognize it. And I actually feel that I'm at risk for the rest of my life for falling into an abusive situation again. Because yeah. it's just, because yeah. I just think, I, I think one, one, I think it's just part of, of, of our, our, the ecosystem of our world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I was teaching, uh, cakes for the queen of heaven. Uh, and at the break, a young woman came up to me and, uh, tears in her eyes. And she said, you know, I can't stay. Uh, she said, I know everything you're teaching is to help us, to empower us. She said, but I can't hear any more of it. Um, I have to leave because, um, what you're teaching me is going to want to make me change things, and I can't mm-hmm. change things. Um, it would, you know, it would upset the apple cart. You know, my in-laws will hate me. My parents will hate me. My husband will want to divorce me. Um, she said, um, I, I, I just got to go. And I think about that young woman so often, and I wonder where she is today because, you know, that old saying, you can't unring the bell. Um, she, yeah. she couldn't unhear even the beginning parts of what she heard. And um, yeah. I don't know, I guess I just wonder, um, you know, uh, you know when, we, when we start to open up, um, you know, I had another uh, friend who went uh, through transition as a trans person, and uh, we were sitting in a, in a circle one day talking about abuse, and she said, uh, well, I've never suffered abuse. And I turned mm-hmm. to her, and I, and I said, Elizabeth, um, with all due respect, really, when you transitioned, you're going to tell me nobody said ugly things to you, nobody pushed back, um, you know, no one was unkind, you didn't hear any slurs. She said, well, yeah. I said, well, Elizabeth, uh-huh. that was abuse. You, you know, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. you know, then it's kind of like you said, the old coat. You know, I think about the uh, the domestic woman who's enduring domestic violence. It's familiar. At least she knows what's going to happen tomorrow, mm-hmm. rather than yes. taking that leap to get out. And how you know? and how sad is that? That she's she's so losing herself because that old coat just is just too comfortable. It's it's just too too known. Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah, and then we, we pass, that, and then we pass that on to our we pass that on to our children as well, because then they see us yeah. what we're what you know what we're enduring, and they come to see it as normal as well. Yeah, I mean, look, and, look, well, look, you know, look, when, look at look at our politicians who we're electing people people that that are that are abusive have even even if even if it was a fluke that they got elected, it's still. Millions of people voted for somebody who was an abuser. Yes, yes, 
Yes, absolutely, uh, absolutely. But you, you know what? I it speaks to so it, it speaks to so many things, you know. Um, and and I think your point is, uh, I, I mean, I'm taking it to mean that you know they probably endured so much abuse in their life and considered it normal. Um, you know, they can't even be. Um, a, they can't even realize that they deserve better in a politician. It's mm-hmm. just the norm. Yeah. Is, is, that, right. is, is that part of your point? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's almost, again, you know, it's this comfortableness. It's like this person's going to protect me and take care of me without, without people realizing their own agency. It's like giving up their own agency for, for something that they think they're getting, which is, I, I'm not sure what that is since it's, Hopefully not something I do anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I hear you. Um, there there's just so many layers, uh, so many layers to yeah. all of this. I mean, it's it's got to be a traumatized society that would elect yeah. an abuser. I mean, I think that's I I, I think I mm-hmm. I think that's a quote now <laughs> for me. A traumatized yes. society elects an abuser. <laughs> I got to write that down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, but um, it, but but yeah, I mean, uh, it, it, it uh, and I think about people in the workplace. You know, I mean, I I feel like you know I went to the workplace right after high school. You know, because I mm-hmm. want I didn't even go to college uh, because I wanted to get out of my home environment, and I felt like if I went to work, I could lead my own life instead of being under the roof of family. And um, mm-hmm. and I realized, you know, we go into the workplace so unprepared. You know, we don't even know. We Sometimes we don't even know where the line is between what an employer can ask of us and what we should say no to, you know. Um, and, you know, we just figure, I, I mean, how many times maybe has, has a person heard, well, I pay you. You know, you do, you do what I tell you to do in the eight hours you're here, you know. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah, we fought battles for freedom, and then we sell it to the nearest boss so that we can uh, earn a living. I mean, that that is yeah. what patriarchy does to us. That that is the abuse of society. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, yes. So, um, so now you found your own pathways to yes. deal with uh, with this abuse, and that's what I want to talk about on the other side of uh, of. Uh, of hearing from uh, Joe Carson here, uh, she's going to tell okay. us about uh, her new book, uh, Celebrate Wildness. So that's where we're going to go um, when we return, Janet. So if you want to put your okay. thoughts together, thanks. Okay. All right, and now a word from Joe Carson. This is from Jonathan Nightshade, a Gardnerian high priest of the Whitecroft line, a traditional craft practitioner and researcher writing about Joe Carson's book, Celebrate Wildness, Magic, Mirth, and Love on the Feriferia Path. I love this book, how special this work is, and how appreciated. As someone who was young in the 1970s, and through the years, only found snippets of information on Feriferia, one of the first modern pagan paths, this book comes as an artistic revelation of the core practices of the way of the goddess and gods, reborn for the next age of the Divine Maiden. She has clearly introduced the historical background 
philosophy and ritual practices of the joyous wilderness mysteries of the fairy faith, illuminated by the marvelous pagan art of Ferraferia's founder, Fred Adams. I was very pleased that the high-quality production of this oversized volume makes it a collectible work of art, as well as a testament to the visionary philosophy of Fred Adams. I feel blessed that I received a copy. I will treasure it and look forward to the next book for more of the deep philosophy and ritual practice of Feriferia. Celebrate Wildness is a dense, art book quality, hardcover book. You can get it for just $45 from the Feriferia website at feriferia.org. That's F-E-R-A-F-E-R-I-A dot org. Well, this is Karen Tate at Voices of the Sacred Feminine Radio, and uh, we're talking today with Janet Rudolph, and uh, our topic is the gifts and pitfalls of surviving abuse, and uh, uh, Janet has uh, written several books, but uh, we're zeroing in on her autobiography, Desperately Seeking Persephone, and um, we were about to start chatting about Janet's path she found for her own healing. So Janet, um, tell us what, uh, you know, what those avenues, pathways, uh, how, how did you get there? When you talk about the, get, the, the pitfalls and the gifts, the, the real gift is, the, is, is find, finding the healing pathway. It was, to me, it was like so crucial just to even survive for me to find a healing pathway and which is one of the reasons I traveled so much, as you said at the beginning of the podcast here, is to look for those to, to look for those pathways. And in doing so, I not only had incredible experiences, went to incredible places, but also met incredible and powerful people and interesting people. And, and they all helped my own journey. You know, the story of Persephone, one of the things that makes it so fascinating is her story is the basis for the Greek mystery school for both Eleusis and Delphi. And the Greek mystery schools were the, were the schools that were, uh, I want to say founded in Greece, but they were likely founded much earlier in Egypt, but were, were really came to fruition, came to maturity in Greece. And... and, and led people into understanding the mysteries of life. And in my shamanic journey, I, went, I, 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 found, I found a mystery school that I spent 17 years studying at. And to me, to me that was my lifeblood. I, I just loved the teachings, the lessons, and the experiences that I had. And they follow Persephone's life because it is through the underworld. You know, we look at the underworld always as something negative, but... It is that darkness. It is where the seeds grow. They, the seeds need the dark to grow. They need to be under the earth and the soil. A fetus grows for nine months in the darkness of the womb. We need, we need this darkness. And so how do we transform the darkness of trauma into the darkness of a creative font of energy? And that's yeah. really what a mystery school is and the shamanic pathway. And I well, don't think I would have um, thought it out had I not had such deep experience, such deep traumatic experiences. So you, so you think, um, well, I'm using the metaphor, um, the abuse planted the seeds. Yes, I exactly. 
that I had a, by, by by searching for those seeds, I I went I, I went deep, and and I think I continue to go deep to try to understand what those seeds are, and to because the thing is I don't think we leave the underworld behind. I don't actually think we can leave the underworld. You know, when you plant a seed in the ground, these roots go down further into the earth before the plant yeah. can come up into the light. And that yeah, is just, you know, yeah. if you're going to look at Persephone as an agricultural story, that's the agricultural part that, that fascinates me, is to, is to how we can look at those roots going deep into the earth and, and use those as a creative bond so that then we yeah. can grow towards the light as well. Right, right, right. Um, well, and, you know, as the, as we were putting together the topic for the show, the gifts and pitfalls of surviving abuse, you know, it occurred to me that maybe someone who hasn't gone through this would say, well, of course there's gifts in surviving abuse. You survived. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, understanding the pitfalls of surviving abuse, that might be a little bit trickier. Um, yes. How how do you ex- how do you explain that to someone who hasn't been on that journey? Well, I mean, I, everybody's journey is is somewhat different, so it's universal and yet unique. But I think the pit the pitfalls are, um, it's, I don't know, the, the pitfalls are are just being so hungry to connect to people that we can choose the wrong people or the wrong experiences mm-hmm. that we can, we can, that, that, that I know for me, I, I wanted so much to, to, to just be, be part of something bigger than myself, that I wasn't always careful about what that meant. Like I wanted to give it all up. So I, it would be just so much easier to, to give my power up to other people and let them just take over my life because then I wouldn't have to think anymore, and I wouldn't have to feel the pain that I was feeling. But it, but yeah. But but it was only by owning my own experience, which can be hard to do because because it's painful. You know that that to me that's the definition of courage. You know to to know what's down there in the darkness. In this case, in my case, abuse, and to go there anyway. To look. Yeah. Yeah. And and that, yeah, that you know that. And you can get lost. You feel like you can get lost in that darkness. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you can take a you can take a wrong turn um, because mm-hmm. I mean, look. Let's face it. Some people uh, remain victims the rest of their life. You know, maybe they yeah. go down there and then they wallow in it forever, um, or uh, maybe come back with the the wrong ideas. Maybe they come back as the, as an abuser. You know, in, instead of healed, you know, um, there's, uh, uh, yeah, there there can be ugly down there in the darkness. It's, mm-hmm. it's how we respond to it, maybe. Exactly. Well put. I love that. And and I did want to just say something. You said you come back with the wrong ideas. I don't like to put things in, in terms of right or wrong because, again, everybody's different. But it's but more, mm-hmm. perhaps more destructive ideas. Or, or uh-huh. ideas that are more challenging, because really any situation can be, can be, even if we've taken what we feel like is the wrong turn, we can we can yeah. find gifts gifts in that as well. Yeah, 
Yeah, and uh, and and I like you know there was I forget how you phrased it now, but the way you sort of defined one's journey because it can be so many things. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. you can take this journey of discovery. You know, maybe you're working for the wrong person. You know, mm-hmm. uh, maybe uh, you know it, it's it's abuse. Uh, maybe um, I mean, there's so many different journeys that can be that underworld. I guess. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, and everybody's definition would be different. Yeah. Everybody's experience of it. So um, now you also said that you think it's common for women especially to leave abusive situations. Um, elaborate on that a little bit. Actually, I said mean it's, that... not, it's not common. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. How, how Freudian was that? <laughs> I left out the word not. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, yeah, I was kind of wondering common. about that. I, I thought maybe you found some some new study or something you were going to cite. Um, but, I sure wish but, I had, but no. <laughs> so so why do you think um, women stay in in abusive situations? Um, you're you're saying more than men do. Is that um, you know since there are only two species? I yeah I can really only speak to women. I don't have I don't know of any studies of. Whether you know who who stays in abusive relationships more, but I, but I think part you know part of what abuse does, as we've already discussed, is it it tears down your personality, it tears down your voice, it tears down you, you lose touch with your own feelings, with your own thoughts, and then when that happens, like that that poor woman that you that came up to you in your class, that she didn't feel she could listen to anymore because she didn't want to make changes. You know, we don't feel, one, that we're worthy of it. Two, as you mentioned before, we might feel shame. It, we feel a lot of shame. We, we don't feel that we are capable. Like there's so many layers that make it hard to leave a, an abusive situation. And, you know, I wonder too, Janet, is if once we start down that journey of losing ourselves, losing our values, losing our identity, losing our integrity, that every time then we relinquish who we are a little bit faster, a little bit more, um, mm-hmm. it gets easier uh, for people to abuse us and we uh, have, have lost our will to fight back. Yes. We've lost the, the pathway to fight back. It's, it's, it's even more than will. It's, it's, it's the pathway. I, I think we don't even understand what, what those pathways might be. Right, because right. We just don't feel there are any options for us. Yeah. Um, well, Janet, when is uh, this wonderful book, uh, Desperately Seeking Persephone, when is it going to be available? It's gonna. It's coming out on May nineteenth, and we are going to be offering it as a discount until uh, till it's released. Uh, I believe I'll have that information in the next few days. Okay. Which is, and and I have. I do have a website. I can. It's, yes, I can, please tell. Let's tell listeners yes, so, how they can keep up with you and find out when they can get your book. Okay, my my website is mysticpagan.com. It's M Y S. T-I-C-P-A-G-A-N dot com. 
Well, Janet, um, I've loved this conversation with you, and, um, you know, we're going to have to do this again and delve a little bit deeper, uh, but I want to give you the last word here. Uh, is there anything we haven't chatted about you want to leave listeners with? I just, I, I've been talking to somebody um, who's, a, who's a Celtic, who's walked a similar path to me, but I'm in a Celtic direction. And she's been talking to me about the concept of Awen, which is, called, which is flowing spirit. And I, and I think when we come back to ourselves, when we start to learn who we are and walk our paths, we come into the flowing spirit. And when we do that, magic happens. And, and knowing that magic is out there and magic can happen to us, I think it's so special and beautiful and powerful. So I just want to leave people who are listening to this with that thought that flowing, flowing spirit. We can it is something we are all we can all plug into at any time that and we how, choose. How are you spelling that, Janet? A W E N. Okay. Lovely, lovely, it's lovely. A Celtic term, yes. <laughs> Thank you, Janet. Thank you so much for um, allowing yourself to be vulnerable uh, and talking about this uh, because I am sure anyone listening um, who need, you know, I'm, I'm sure there are many people out there who need to hear what you had to say today. That's what I'm trying to say. So thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure talking to you. All right, Janet. Thank you, and uh, we'll make sure we remember to send people to FOAR, Feminism and Religion blog. Uh, Go check out all the great uh, writers there. Thank you so much. (laughs) Okay, bye-bye. Well, uh, speaking of remembering who we are, uh, the idea of Awen that Janet just um, mentioned uh, reminds me of this quote from Monique Wittig, which is such a favorite of mine, Um, and when she says, uses the word slave, um, I'm going to put in there instead, abused, Uh, she said, there was a time when you were not abused. Remember that. You walked alone, full of laughter. You bathed bare-bellied. You say you have lost all recollection of it. Remember. You say there are not words to describe it. You say it does not exist. But remember, make an effort to remember, or failing that, invent. I love that. Okay, so uh, for the last few minutes of the show, I promised that we were going to be discussing Carol Crisp's uh, all-important essay, uh, When... Uh, you know, why women need the goddess, and uh, each week we're going to discuss one of the four reasons, and um, the four reasons are, I'll repeat them uh, one more time, Uh, the first, which we're going to get into today, is the affirmation and the legitimation of female power as beneficent, the second is affirmation of the female body and its life cycles, The third is the affirmation of women's will. And the fourth is affirmation of women's bonds with one another and their positive female heritage. Um, So I want to tell you that um, you can find this essay 
if you just Google Why Women Need the Goddess by Carol Christ, and I would encourage you to do so uh, because I'm not going to be able to read the entire essay. I'm going to give you high points. Uh, but we're going to start with, um, like I said, the, the first um, you know, the first reason why women uh, need the goddess, and it's uh, to legitimize female power. So she says in this uh, article, uh, which was presented as the keynote address to an audience of over 500 at the Great Goddess Reemerging Conference at the University of Santa Cruz in 1978, uh, and then it was published other places later. Uh, she gets into... Um, you know, the idea that because religion has such a compelling hold on the deep psyche of so many people, that feminists can't afford to leave it in the hands of the fathers. And, you know, she gives the example that uh, religions centered on the worship of a male god create moods and motivations that keep women in a state of psychological dependence on men and male authority, while at the same time legitimizing the political and social authority of fathers and sons in institutions and in society. So, um, you know, it's, it's the idea that mythology and symbols, uh, stories, narratives, all of this shape our culture. And when we see, you know, uh, the supreme being is uh, a male god, and then by association, men then become the authority figures that women have to submit to, or so patriarchy would have you believe. So, um, I'm going to get into this first section, and I'm going to try to read it rather slowly. And, um, but like I said, I, ple- I, I recommend you go look at the article and print it out for yourself and keep it and share it. So, uh, she goes on to say that the simplest and most basic meaning of the symbol of goddess is the acknowledgement of the legitimacy of female power as a beneficent and independent power. A woman who echoes the statement uh, by um, Tisaki Shange, I found God in myself and I love her fiercely, is saying female power is strong and creative. She is saying that the divine principle, the saving and sustaining power, is in herself that she will no longer look to men or male figures as saviors. The strength and independence of female power can be intuited by contemplating ancient and modern images of goddess. The meaning of the symbol of goddess is simple and obvious, and yet it is difficult for many to comprehend. It stands in sharp contrast to the paradigms of female dependence on males that have been dominant in Western religion and culture. Um, And she mentions the quote that I just read um, by uh, Monique Wittig. There was a time when you were not a slave. Remember that? You walked alone, full of laughter. You bathed bare-bellied. You say you have lost all recollection of it. Remember. You say there are not words to describe it. You say it does not exist. But remember. Make an effort to remember or failing that invent. Uh, Carol says, uh, while witted, the 
author of that quote does not speak directly of goddess here she captures the mood of joyous celebration of female freedom and independence that is created in women who define their identities through the symbol of goddess artist Mary Beth Edelson expressed the political motivations inspired by the goddess when she wrote the ascending archetypal symbols of the feminine unfold today in the psyche of modern every woman they encompass the multiple forms of the great goddess reaching across the centuries we take the hands of our ancient sisters the great goddess alive and well is rising to announce to the patriarchs that their 5,000 years are up hallelujah here we come the affirmation of female power contained in the goddess symbol symbol has both psychological and political consequences psychologically it means the defeat of the view engendered by patriarchy that women's power is inferior and dangerous the new mood of affirmation of female power also leads to new motivations it supports and undergird girds women's trust in their own power and the power of other women and family and society if the simplest meaning of goddess symbol is an affirmation of the legitimacy and beneficence of female power then a question immediately arises if the goddess simply female is simply female is the goddess simply female power writ large and if so why bother with the symbol of goddess at all or does the symbol refer to goddess out there who is not reducible to a human potential the many women who have discovered the power of goddess would give three answers to this question number one goddesses divine female a personification who can can be evoked in prayer and ritual the goddess is a symbol of the life death and rebirth energy in nature and culture in person and communal life and three the goddess is symbol of the affirmation of the legitimacy and beauty of female power made possible by the new becoming of women in the women's liberation movement if one were to ask these women which answer is the correct one different responses would be given some would assert that the goddess uh, definitely is not out there that the symbol of a divinity out there is part of the legacy of patriarchal oppression which brings with it the authoritarianism hierarchalism and dogmatic rigidity associated with biblical monotheistic religions they might assert that the goddess symbol reflects the sacred power within women in nature suggesting the connectedness between women's cycles of menstruation birth and menopause and the life and death cycles of the universe others seem quite comfortable with the notion of goddess as a divine female protector and creator and would find their experience of goddess limited by the assertion that she is not only she's not also out there as well as within themselves and in all natural processes when asked what the symbol of goddess means feminist priestess starhawk replied it all depends on how i feel when i feel weak she is someone who can help and protect me when i feel strong she is the symbol of my own power at other times i feel her as the natural energy in my body and the world how are we to evaluate such a statement theologians might call these words 
these the words of a sloppy thinker, but my deepest intuition tells me they contain a wisdom that Western theological thought has lost. To theologians, these differing views of the meaning of the symbol of goddess might seem to threaten a replay of the Trinitarian controversies. Is there perhaps a way of doing theology that would not lead immediately into dogmatic controversy, would not require theologians to say definitively that one understanding is true and the others are false? Could people's relation to a common symbol be made primary and varying interpretations be acknowledged. The diversity of explications of the meaning of the goddess symbol suggests that symbols have a richer significance than any explanation of their meaning can express, a point literary critics have long insisted on. And to conclude, this phenomenological fact suggests that theologians may need to give more than lip service to a theory of symbol in which the symbol is viewed as the primary fact and the meanings are viewed as secondary. It also suggests that a theology of the goddess would be very different from the theology we have known in the West. But to spell out this notion of the primacy of symbol and theology in contrast to the primacy of the explanation and theology would be the topic of another paper. Let me simply state that women who have been deprived of a female religious symbol system for centuries recognize the power and primacy of symbols. I believe the women must develop a theory of symbol and theology congruent with their experience at the same time as they remember and invent new symbol systems. Okay, so uh, next next week uh, we will get into uh, the second of the four reasons, uh, which will be the affirmation um, of the female body and its life cycles. Uh, we all know about uh, the shame attached to menstruation. Uh, we've all heard about the menstrual huts. We've heard about uh, the ideas that um, you know a woman who's on her period can cause the crops to die in the fields. All of that sort of stuff uh, we've heard that emerges from a patriarchal society where there are no symbols of the great goddess who is the creatrix of all. So um, I guess we can uh, close uh, the number one affirmation about the, legitim uh, the legitimation of female power as beneficent and the affirmation of female power as beneficent um, simply by remembering that religion centered on the worship of a male god creates moods and motivations that keep women in a state of psychological dependence on men and male authority while at the same time legitimizing the political and social authority of fathers and sons in the institutions of society. You know, we've all heard it. There are groups out there that say uh, women are supposed to submit to male authority, and those uh, are us who say, no way. Uh, in the book group that I'm leading, uh, The Chalice and the Blade by Rian Eisler, um, 
she addressed this recently, and she talked about how, I'm going to see if I can find it real quick. I should have had it ready. Uh, But she talks about women who don't grow up with a symbol of the goddess. Uh, They don't have the same uh, self-esteem. They don't have uh, the same um, self-confidence. Uh, they have a different self-image. Yeah, here on page 67, she says, um, in societies that conceptualize the supreme power in the universe as goddess, revered as the wise and just source of all our material and spiritual gifts, women would tend to internalize a very different self-image. With such a powerful role model, they would tend to consider it both their right and their duty to actively participate and to take the lead in developing and using uh, both material and spiritual technologies. They would tend to see themselves as competent, independent, and most certainly creative and inventive. Indeed, there is growing evidence of the participation and leadership of women in the development and administration of the material and non-material technologies upon which a dominator order was later superimposed. So uh, Rianne was talking about older cultures and Neolithic times, but it's still uh, relevant today that uh, women have a different self-image who have grown up with a feminine face of God rather than um, just being in the bubble of uh, patriarchy where uh, there's only a male God and then by association authority. All right, so before we go today, um, I want to remind you about the Divine Feminine app. Um, Women have been finding the Divine Feminine app each and every day since 2016 as a resource for finding local sacred circles, events, and resources. The Divine Feminine app has a new feature where newly added and local events are sent out every Tuesday. You can go to thedivinefemineapp.com and register quickly and easily at no cost uh, to see circles in your area and to be put on an email list. As a benefit to listeners here of Voices of the Sacred Feminine, you can click on Upgrade Membership and scroll down uh, to use the code SACREDFEMININE to get a 90-day access to entering your own featured events that will be sent to local users. And it's not just uh, local events, but soul-filled Sacred Feminine virtual and online events are also listed on the Divine Feminine app, as well as retreats, profiles, and podcasts uh, like ours and more. All right. So I think uh, that about does it. Um, I think we've given you lots of food for thought between my uh, guest today, Janet Rudolph, and uh, uh, the words of uh, so many wise people whose uh, quotes and writings uh, we've uh, shared today. So I want to thank you for listening. I hope you will tell your friends about the show. Um, I hope you will um, go take a look at uh, my KarenTate.net page. Uh, You can help me out by going there and uh, buying some of my books. Uh, Or, you know what, it's just important to me that – The website is available as a teaching aid. Uh, Please look at some of the videos there and the essays um, if you'd like to be uh, 
put on my newsletter that goes out every month. Uh, please get in touch with me. And I'm also always interested in feedback uh, for the show. Uh, you can contact me through my website. There's a contact button way down at the bottom of the page. Um, and uh, as I said, I invite you to go there and uh, let me hear from you. All right. Thank you so much. Uh, I know you have lots of options and uh, lots of pressing, uh, important business taking up your time. So when you listen here at Voices of the Sacred Feminine, uh, please know your uh, listener loyalty is um, appreciated immensely. So we'll close the show with uh, uh, some music from um, Abigail Spinner McBride as a... Uh, homage to the lion-headed Egyptian goddess uh, Sekhmet because as I said in my um, my writing uh, which you can find on my website uh, for in honor of Women's History Month I really do believe the essence of Sekhmet uh, is a wonderful archetype and role model for women today and uh, I explain that in depth there uh, if you take a look at uh, KarenTate.net. Uh, um, the name of the article, uh, I believe, is um, My Mother Said Women Ruled the World, something like that. But, uh, but you can find it, I'm sure. And if you can't find it, uh, pop me a note, and uh, I'll send you a link. All right, so homage to Segment coming up. <laughs> 